Thanks for joining us in this first episode of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast with Mark Fralick. Today's guest is Dr. Denny Morris, the Director of Officiating Development in Basketball for the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Denny is a graduate of Elida High School and Bowling Green State University, a podiatrist for 25 years in private practice in Lima, Ohio before his retirement. Dr. Morris is now the Vice President of Medical Affairs and Chief Medical Officer at Lima Memorial Health Systems. He has been a basketball official since 1975 and worked boys state tournament games in 2002, 2005, and 2007. He has been Ohio's basketball rules interpreter since 2005. Denny is also a Big Ten football official for the past 19 years and has worked in 17 bowl games. I hope you enjoy our discussion, and I I also hope that you come back to listen to future episodes. Enjoy. Denny, thank you for joining the first episode of the podcast. I appreciate you uh, coming on and joining us. Well, thanks for having me, and it's a a pleasure to uh, be able to set the bar low so everyone else can uh, top top this performance. Uh, Denny is a Lima, Ohio resident in Northwest Ohio and, and received quite an honor in 2009 when, when he was inducted into the Ohio High School Officials Hall of Fame. So briefly tell me, um, Denny, if you would, how you felt when you learned that you would be joining the Officials Hall of Fame. Well, I thought it was a very nice honor. Um, it just goes to show if you stick around long enough and they run out of people that they'll uh, they find. But, uh, no, it's a... Uh, you know, it's, it's for all officials, all sports, so it covers a lot of people over the years. And if you look at some of the past inductees, uh, they're some of the legends of OHSAA officiating. So I was very pleased to uh, be able to be inducted, and, and it's been an honor and uh, try to uh, live up to the uh, ideals that it stands for. Yeah, so like officials at a basketball game, this podcast is broken into separate segments. We'll start off with our pregame. And then we'll move to the first and second quarters. We'll take a halftime break, then return for the second half, and then have our post game, which, <laughs> quite honestly, may or may not be the best part of the evening, depending on the circumstances, just like a basketball game. So with that, uh, let's get started on the pregame. Talk about your journey into officiating and uh, what got you into it. Okay, well, actually, I started probably when I was in junior high. Now, in 19... 19- late 60s when that would have been uh there was no uh, permit for a class three official you had to be 18 and graduate from high school before you could get an ohsa permit at, at any level and so uh, coaches would let me uh, referee junior high games and then i as i got a little bit older i did some of the jv games uh, in pr- primarily in football I would, uh, was able to do some of the varsity basketball scrimmages and JV scrimmages and uh, some industrial league, that type of thing. So then when I was a freshman in college, uh, there also were no classes uh, then to get your permit. You just sent your money in the OHSAA. They sent you the rule books, and then they had some people around the state that administered the test, and you had to meet up with them. And uh, I still remember, uh, I don't know the guy's name from Bowling Green, but I met him 
in the library at BGSU. I took the test, and then they send you back. Either you passed or you failed. And so uh, apparently I passed. So that was in 1975. That was my uh, first year uh, that I had an OHSA permit. And then uh, just to show you how things have changed, like I said, there were no classes then. Um, also, at that time, the JV officials for basketball, there was only one per game. And you would do a half with each varsity official because there, and there were only two varsity officials. Uh, so that was, uh, you needed to get hooked up with somebody because it was up to the varsity officials to find the JV officials and bring them along. Uh, it wasn't too many years when they did go then to two JV officials. So both varsity officials had to find someone, but it was really good experience uh, from the JV officials standpoint to have those varsity guys out there with you. And it uh, made things a lot easier. And unfortunately, well, I think that would probably be a good thing today that we're not going to go back to that, but uh, it, it was very beneficial to me. And then when we went to two, uh, again, unlike today, for the most part, the JV officials always rode with the varsity officials and you went with them. Obviously you stayed for the varsity game and you came back. So you picked up a lot, uh, particularly if you had, were able to get hooked up with good varsity officials and yeah, that was my goal was to get with a couple people that had good schedules because then you automatically had a good schedule. And uh, I did as many of those games as I could until I could start getting some varsity games. So that that's a little different than it is today, but that's how, how I got started. Do you remember your first varsity game? My first varsity game was at Oak Harbor. Uh, I was still at Bowling Green, and I had done a lot of JV games for the assigner. In that league, it was the Sandusky Bay Conference. His name was Jimmy Wanski. And uh, it was at the, at the end of the season, I think. It probably uh, it was a snow out or some sort of a makeup game. And they needed someone, and he gave me a chance uh, to do that game. So uh, that was where the first, I don't remember who they played or who my partner was or anything, but that was my first varsity game. Who have been some of the more influential officials for you uh, throughout your career. And I guess when I talk about influence, you could talk about early in the career and also even today, um, who have been some of the people that have influenced you? Well, when I first started, like I said, it, it was important to get aligned with some veteran officials that could uh, sort of feed you the JV games. And at Lima, around here, uh, the guy that really helped me a lot was by the name of Don Mack. He was the local secretary, plus he was also the assigner for the Blanchard Valley Conference. And again, back then, the secretaries really had a lot of influence on game assignments because you know, there were no computers and everything was done by paper. And so they kept a book and you had your closed dates marked in that book. And then if someone needed an AD, generally needed an official, they'd call the secretary. He'd go through the book, find out who was open and give him your name, and obviously, you know, he picked who he, who he recommended, so he was helpful to me. Uh, when I was in college, I belonged to the Finley Association, hmm. and uh, I met a couple guys there, uh, Roger Gosman and Terry Good, and uh, so I did lots of JV games for them, and uh, they really impressed upon me the importance of uh, appearance and good mechanics, and that that would really serve me well, and, and they were quite right on that. And then uh, a couple years later, I met a fellow at, at, at 
Finley by the name of Sid Rodeheffer. And I don't know how many people remember that name, but when I met him, um, I, he was near the end of his high school career. And then he went on and had probably a 25 or 30 year career in the Mid-American and the Big Ten wow. in men's basketball. So uh, he taught me a lot when it came to game management and uh, communication, dealing with coaches. Uh, and so that, that was a big influence on me um, for those years. And then and I moved on from that. Yeah, that's um, that's great that you have uh, those mentors always help throughout people's career. And I know probably everybody that's listening to this who's working a varsity schedule has had a mentor. And people who are listening to this that are that, that work JV or junior high, you know, I'm hoping that they they can get out of this to to find a mentor somewhere because that is is so valuable to have that mentorship throughout the seasons. Yeah, you have to. I can't stress how important a mentor is. And a mentor, a good mentor, is not your best friend and officiate. You need someone that will tell you what you need to hear. You know, if your mentor tells you after every game you did a great job, he's not mentoring you. Uh, you need someone that will, you know, positively reinforce things to help you get better. Uh, every game you should go out there with a goal of working on something that you need to improve uh, to get better at. And uh, so mentoring is, is uh, very valuable. And the other thing today that certainly didn't exist uh, when I started is video. Uh, it's very easy to have video available. And even in JV level, they, they video most of those games. And most schools will uh, gladly can send it to you via huddle or some other uh, platform that you can watch. And you can learn a lot by watching yourself and then have your mentor go through it with you and uh, they'll find things that you didn't even realize you were doing but there's nothing like seeing it um, a lot of times when you point something out to an official they they don't really believe you and then when they see it they realize ah he was right so uh, video and getting some good mentorship is is very important and then uh, the other thing is starting early um, you can now class three you can start when you're 14 and that's when we see some of these people today that come along and, and move up relatively quickly. It's because they've had three, four years of experience uh, before they ever really got to the high school level uh, that they accomplished during while they were in school. And there's people like Hannah Keller and Ryan Damon and Max Baldwin, Jack Schmeezing. Some of them, their fathers officiated, so that's a, a natural uh, uh, break-in for them but others just uh, had some sort of a desire and passion for it and started on their own. And the last part of that is if for a 14, 15, 16-year-old, it's really pretty good money. And uh, so I, I would encourage people to uh, start as early as they can uh, because you, you take some time and you need to get some experience uh, if you want to move up. In talking about mentorship also, some of the things that, uh, some of the young officials might be able to see if they go to these games is, is a pregame. And since we're in the pregame section, talk a little bit about the importance of a pregame uh, before every game. Well, I think it's important before every game. And, you know, in the days when officials rode together commonly, I think a lot of it took place in the car. 
but today not so much or at least with you know three varsity officials the likelihood that all three ride together is not too great so the pregame is important and i people take it for granted to some extent and that's that's a mistake every game is going to be different and we don't know exactly how but we have to prepare for that and that's really what the pregame should accomplish you don't have to go into you know 50 or 60 basketball games a season and start out with okay where are we going to stand for the jump ball i think people if they don't know that then the pregame is not going to they're not going to be nearly enough to help them the basics everybody pretty much knows. What you have to go talk about is the two teams that are playing, what you know about them, what their tendencies are. Is this a big rivalry? Is there bad blood between these teams? Uh, you know, one team has somebody that's the all-state leading scorer. Whatever the case may be, those are the things you need to focus on. And then if you do work with some people, you know, rather frequently, or maybe you, the last game or two you've been with them, then you might talk about some things that have happened, both good and bad, how you could do better, you know, whether it's positioning, mechanics, you know, game management, whatever the case may be. But I, there should be some discussion about every game beforehand, and it needs to focus primarily on the two teams that are playing that night. And then that pregame discussion um... – you go out and do your first quarter and second quarter, you come back at halftime. My guess is that that conversation needs to be updated then a little bit at halftime based on what happened. Sure. I think you, you then need to say, okay, here's where we're at. This is, you know, what we expected, or this is not what we expected. I think you have to have a different discussion if it's a one point game or if it's a 20 point differential and, and what you then going to anticipate in the second half. Obviously, if it's turning into a blowout, then there's things you have, you know, you're not worried about missing a travel. You're going to worry about things getting a little chippy, a little rough, a little out of hand. Uh, if it's a very close game, then, you know, then you, you take a different approach that you want to uh, manage the game. But you, by the same token, uh, you don't want to be over managing it or a lot of game interrupters or things that, that are just going to cause you problems. So. Uh, every game's different, and yeah, at halftime you you readjust just like coaches do. Uh, it's really it's no different than than the, what the coaches do with their teams. They make adjustments at halftime, and officials should as well. Yeah. So that wraps up our pregame. Let's head to the first quarter and let's talk about coaches. What what has been some of the most beneficial tactics? Uh, and I use tactics in quote marks that have worked for you, and that can help others in dealing with coaches. Well, I think the first thing is you have to be a good listener because often coaches just want to vent. Uh, they know you're not going to change the call. And frankly, there's many times there's nothing that you can tell them that's going to satisfy them or that they want to hear. So the first thing you have to do is be willing to listen. Uh, the second thing is you need to have a short memory. Uh, you can't be worried about something they said in the first quarter and here we are late in the fourth quarter. You got to get over it. But the first tactic, I think, is be willing to listen. And then, secondly, also be willing to draw the line and let them know when you've had enough. Okay. And most coaches will respect that. Is you let them know, I heard you. You know, we, this discussion isn't going to go on any farther. Uh, 
another good line that I try to do is the coach will say, well, I want to ask you something, and then they start making a statement. And you can stop that very quickly. Coach, if you have a question, I'll try to answer it. If not, then we're moving on because you're not there to, t to be lectured to. Those things, and that's how you develop some you know, rapport with them. Be willing to listen, but also know when, when you have to move on. I think it's a mistake when co when officials, uh, like on a free throw, the trail will stand right in front of that coach. Uh, you're just setting yourself up for problems. I think another mistake is if you're too friendly with coaches, particularly one coach uh, that you know real well and then the other coach you've never had before, and you're buddy-buddy with that coach or you give that appearance, that sets you up for trouble. So you have to be professional, maintain a distance. Uh, they will respect you. And uh, generally, you, you'll have decent rapport. If it's someone that just is out of line, then you have to take care of business. Certainly, you're not going to let them insult you or uh, uh, criticize or attack your integrity. But you have to be willing to listen to them. And if you know you screwed something up, don't be afraid to admit it. Just flat out tell them, look, I know it. I kicked that call. There's nothing I can do about it. And we got to, you know, I'll work harder not to do it again. And almost every coach will accept that. Now, you can't do that every time down the court. But if it happens, something gets screwed up, just admit it. And, and you got to move on. And so do they. Yeah, I was listening to a, a podcast and, and uh, some college officials were talking about admitting your mistakes, and, and they said the same thing. That you don't want to make this uh, a reoccurring thing to the coaches. Uh, their philosophy was one time per coach per game. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, that's fine. I think you treated everybody equally. Yeah. Um, and and uh, mistakes are going to be made, uh, you know, and I'm out observing. I'm not looking for the perfectly officiated game, because if I am, I'll be disappointed every time. Yep. That's never going to happen. And I don't even, you know, if, if there's a call that I think uh, they, they missed that one, and that's the only one of the game, they did a tremendous job. I don't even bring it up, because maybe they were right and I was wrong. But the point is, there, there'll be some mistakes in a basketball game. There's a lot of calls, no calls, and there's going to be some things missed. And and the coaches know that. And, you know, when you watch a game and when you don't care who wins or loses, it generally tends to pretty much even out. And so, you know, it's, it's fair is fair. But don't try to be perfect because you, you, you just frustrate yourself. You're never going to be perfect. Yeah. Do the best you can. Work to improve and, uh, you know, strive to be excellent. Nothing wrong with that. But don't worry about trying to be perfect. So when you're dealing with a coach who's upset, uh, and then this is really, I think, for a lot of officials, especially young officials, how does official maintain that professionalism, that calmness, even when a coach is in their face when they don't want them to be? Well, it's not easy to do, that's for sure. And obviously, the more experience you have, the easier it gets. Uh, and when they know you, that's certainly helpful as opposed to a new official who they're going to try to see how far they can push them. Uh, what I try to do at, at this point in my career is if I'm with a young official, and they're all young compared to me, so, uh, <laughs> but if they're relatively inexperienced and the coach is on them, and I, I tell them in the pregame beforehand, you know, I'll take care of the coach. 
he starts getting, you just get away from him and let me come over and I'll, I'll talk with him. And then that's exactly what I just let him talk. And, and, and if, even if I know the call was wrong, I just tell him, you know, well, we're not going to change it. And we got to, you know, he's going to be here the rest of the night. So we got to work together and try to defuse the situation. But uh, I think that's where the veteran officials can uh, help with the younger guys. Yeah, and that- the thing I tell them is, if there's, if there's something that happens that the scorer calls you over, I'll go to the scorer's table you, because it's nothing but a trap. When you get over there, now you're in the line of fire for both coaches, so stay away from the table. Uh, in all my years, they've never called me over to the table to tell me what a great job I was doing. <laughs> there's always something bad at that scorer's table, so I encourage younger officials, let the veteran handle it, and the veterans have got to step up. That's where they can do that because most likely they know the coaches, they've been there before, they, you know, they can deal with whatever it is at the scores table, and uh, help the young guys out. But if you're, you know, three young guys and you're out there, it's a lot tougher because those coaches are gonna they're gonna push you. And again, you've got to try to work. You know, don't try to be funny. That's a mistake. Don't try to give them a cute answer uh, because that'll backfire on you. You know, 99 times out of 100. Rarely are they going to think you're as funny as you thought you were. So uh, it's in serious business to them. They take it important. They take it seriously. You have to take it seriously. It's the most important game of the night. So uh, you have to work with them. Yeah. How about some of the coaches that you remember? What Some of the more memorable coaches, What and what made them memorable to you? Well, I had the opportunity to officiate for some very good coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the Hall of Fame coaches, obviously the winningest coach in OHSA history, Dick Cordercrax at Kaleida, Bob Arnson, Delta St. John's, uh, Ray Etzler at uh, Trestview, and then uh, many others that uh, had very good careers as well. And the good coaches know when they'll get their jabs in and they let you know they're still there, but they also tend to let you officiate and they coach, and they they, they they know they've got it because if all they do is complain, then their players will start complaining, and when that happens, they've lost the players. They've given the players an excuse not to perform well because we're going to blame it on the officials, and so those coaches were pleasures to have uh, for the most part always because they just coached. Yep. They thought something wasn't right. They, they'd let you know. They weren't afraid to speak up. But they also would drop it and get back to business because they understood. Uh, the harder coaches are some maybe the left experienced guys who are trying to make an impression for themselves, and they think the way to do it is to yell and jump up and down and scream at the officials, and that generally doesn't bode them well, but they have to learn that on their own. But the good coaches – those guys I named, there's, you know, probably a couple thousand wins among them. Um, they they know what to do and they know when to say something. They know when to let it go. Yeah. And, and that's a great way to end the first quarter. Let's head to the second quarter and we talk about players and communication as officials with players. What can you say about working with players? What's helped you the most and what kind of advice would you give to other uh, officials when dealing with players? Well, I think you hit the key, and you probably didn't realize it, that you have to work with them, all right? There's a natural adversarial tendency 
you know, between coaches and officials or players and officials. We'll never get away from that. But the reality is you have to work with those players. You know, the players that we deal with are anywhere from 12, 13, 14 years old to 17, 18 years old. All right. They're not pros. They're not adults. They're kids. And we have to remember that. And they can be emotional sometimes. They also can be sometimes easier to work with than the coaches. And I think, again, with experience, you know, you have some of these players a couple, three years, they kind of recognize you. They may not know you per se, but you recognize them. And it doesn't take too long to figure out who the leaders are on the team. Usually it's the captain, not always. But if you can get that leader in your pocket and develop some rapport with him, that player can really help you out. Get in, you're having a problem with one of their teammates, you go to that captain and say, hey, can you help me with number so-and-so? Because if you can't help me, you know, I don't want to do something that's going to hurt your team. And they know what that means, all right, and especially if it's a close game. Let them give them the first shot. Let them try to take care of it. And you can do that with the coach as well. If you have a player that uh, acts out, giving you a hard time on the court, making comments all the time, you just go to the coach and say, Coach, give you the first shot. Can you help me with this player? And uh, I'll tell you, one guy that comes to mind that was great about that was Dave Freilich. Okay. No relation. No relation to you. No. (laughs) Uh, He may not like anything I called all night. But if I said to him, one of your players was causing a problem, that kid was coming out and he would have a talk with him. And I'd much rather let the coach handle it or one of the teammates than me. So with the players, I try to get them on my side to that extent, uh, have some rapport with them, uh, not bark at them, try to be nice. You know, if they make a great play, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, that was a nice shot or something like that. Again, you're not trying to be their best friend or their buddy, but positive reinforcement will pay dividends for you. And communication is a big part of officiating. I don't care what sport it is. You have to be a good communicator uh, or you're not going to be real successful at officiating. It's more than just going out there and blowing the whistle. Yeah, and part of that communication uh, that we talk about is is maybe some proactive officiating, uh, using your voice throughout the game. Maybe it's in the post. Maybe it's uh, uh, on the baseline at, during an entry pass. Maybe it's uh, when a cutter cuts across the lane. Um, but what other times – do you see where we can utilize our voice to help the game flow, but at the same time, not talk too much? Well, you can be proactive in the pregame. You know, there are some players that get very close to dunking and they'll, uh, you know, they'll push it to the limit. And I think that's one of you pre proactive right there. You look to them and say, Hey, you know, no more, stay off the rim. Um, apparel, you know, headbands, wristbands, all that stuff has been a hassle for the last how many years? Mm-hmm. That can all be done, addressed ahead of time. And again, that you can do it in a, rather than just going up and saying, hey, you need to take that off. You can go up and say, uh, you're not going to wear that during the game now, are you? They'll get the message, okay? You can do it in a, a friendly type way and uh, rather than and not run over to the coach and then the coach yells at him and screams at him, you just take care of it, they take it off and and go on. Uh, 
I had a kid in a game this year. He had some sort of thing in his hair. I don't know what it was. And I told him, you need to, you know, you're not going to play with that. So he didn't say a word. He gave it to me. He goes, just can I please have it back when the game's over? And so, you know, I said, sure. And I gave it to one of the assistant coaches. But that's how, you know, if you can deal with them one-on-one in a friendly way, in a polite way, uh, pregame, that takes care of that stuff. Now, during the game, you're right. You know, you can give them some sort of warnings, you know, watch your hands. I'd be careful about saying don't hold because the coach hears you say that. He's going to say, well, he's holding him. Why isn't it a foul? You know, keep your hands off. He's going to say, well, it's a foul. He's hand shaking. So watch your hands would be one thing. you got to watch how you phrase things. That's what I'm trying to get across. And then uh, other things, same thing. You know, watch your knee. You know, watch the forearm or the arm bar. There's a lot of different things that you can uh, try to talk them out of uh, so that you don't have to call a foul. And then once it gets past that point, then let them know, you know, you call the foul and then you let them know, hey, I, I tried to talk to you. You either listen to me or this is what's going to happen. And after a couple of those, they usually get the message. All right, that puts an end to the second quarter. Uh, we're at halftime, so let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll head to the third and fourth quarters, and then we'll have a little bit of fun after that. We'll be right back. If you have a question for a basketball official for future episodes, you may submit your question to markfralick at hotmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-F-R-O-E-L-I-C-H at hotmail.com. Just put on the subject line, question for podcast, and we'll be happy to ask a future official your question on the air. Well, welcome back. And, and here we are in the third quarter where we can have a little bit of a discussion about officials. So, um, Denny, what would you say for advice for young officials moving up from the lower level to varsity? Well, that's everybody, most everyone's goal, I think. And that's a noble goal. And I certainly don't blame people for wanting to make that movement. I think the first thing that I would say is you have to have some patience first-year officials, they may think you're ready for the, uh, the big time, but uh, it takes some experience, and everyone thinks they're probably better than they are, and uh, no one's as bad as what everybody else thinks you are, so it kind of goes both ways, but uh, number one, you got to get some experience. you got to be patient. I would say work every opportunity you have. Uh, there's no game that you can't learn from. If it's a blowout, you'll learn how to manage blowouts a one-pointer then you learn how to manage those types of games so you'll learn from every game uh, you can't see too many uh, plays uh, everything that can possibly happen in a basketball game hasn't happened yet so you never know what you're going to be faced with but starting out I would, number one be patient number two get all the experience you can number three find a good mentor and then as you start to move up, and this is a question that I'm asked very frequently uh, as a DOD, you know, how do I get more tournament games or how do I get to the state tournament or what are you looking for when you observe? And so briefly, there's a few things that, and every observer is different. Uh, it's kind of like judging a beauty contest, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Everybody sees things a little differently. But the first thing I do before the game ever even starts, uh, when I, if there are officials that I don't know particularly, uh, is appearance. 
you know, that's your, your first shot. And some people, they, you know, if they don't look like they belong out there, if they don't look like they're in shape, they're non-athletic, uh, they're off to a bad start. And they may never recover from that uh, in terms of my observation. So I, I think you've got to – it's an athletic job. You're out there with athletes. You've got to be able to run, move. So you got to be in shape. you got to look the part. Uh, second thing is rules knowledge. That's something, uh, yes, there's a class, but that's pretty basic. You need to do some studying, rules book, case book. Uh, four local association meetings a year is not going to get it done. Uh, you got to put some individual time into studying the rules. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I was taught long ago is you're paid for your judgment. The knowledge of the rules is assumed. And I'd say that's pretty true. You know, you need to know those rules before you ever get out there. Uh, then, along with that, is mechanics. And I mentioned that early on. Uh, it was drilled in my head about having good mechanics and good signals. And when I talk about good signals, uh, I'm not talking about trying to be cute and fancy with some of the signals that we see. I'm talking about using the signals right out of the chart, in the back of the rule book. Uh, stick to the basic signals. And, and you'll be in much better shape than trying to improvise on your own and be cute and think that that's going to attract the positive attention because it won't. So the signals, mechanics, uh, then comes judgment. Now, judgment's not always easy to teach, uh, but if you have good mechanics and you put yourself in a good position, uh, then that should give the best opportunity for you to make a correct judgment. The mechanics manual is a guide. It's not absolute. It's not etched in stone. There's times when you just have to you know, forget the mechanics and get to where you need to get to the best you can and do what, do what you can with it. But for the most part, follow the mechanics, and you'll, your judgment should come along, along with that. And then the last thing I look for, which is extremely important that we've talked about all along, is game management. Can you manage those major moments? When it looks like the train's going to derail, can you get back on the tracks? Um, do you know how to deal with coaches? Do you know how to deal with the players? Uh, do you know how to manage the game and avoid game interrupters? Have a good game flow if you can. Or if you have to step up, can you step up and, and do and take care of business uh, and not just disappear and rely on your partners to take care of it? So those are it's a lot of things. And you're not going to learn all that in one season. And like I said, uh, I recommend every game you go out there with one or two goals in mind of something that you're going to really focus on to try to improve and then and just build from there. But it takes time. It takes experience. It's no different than anything else, whether it's playing or your job, whatever. There's, there's nothing better than experience. And it just it takes some time. Absolutely, and uh, and along the way, you take some hard knocks, and uh, and you learn from those hard knocks as well. And I know that's something that, um, in I know in my career, uh, there's been some great learning experiences. And uh, it, it, you're right; it, it takes time, it takes the experiences, um, and and you still learn every year. If you stop learning, if you if you plateaued, if you think you've hit the top, uh, then you only have one direction to go. So I would suggest that you, you're, never, you're never too old to learn more, to get better. And, you know, one of the things, again, that didn't exist when I started were these camps. There's a lot of them. 
all kinds. Uh, and I think no matter where you go, uh, you're going to learn something from it. And for the more older veteran officials, I get it. They're not really interested in going to a camp with a bunch of novice officials and they think they're past that point. And I, I can live with that, but I would suggest that they be willing to listen to those young officials that come back to their meetings and say, here's what they're teaching us at camp. Now you get the information for free. You didn't have to burn a weekend going to camp and you can be up to speed because things change. I mean, I still see officials that have been around a long time and they, they do an okay job. I'm not faulting them, but they still use mechanics and signals that went out 10, 15 years ago. And they just have it and they date themselves. They make themselves look uh, like they are from uh, long ago because they haven't kept up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been through how many different times, you know, silly things, but I started, we used metal whistles. And then we went to plastic whistles with peas. And now we have Fox 40s. And this year, I'm going to recommend we use electronic whistles for the COVID. Uh, so, you know, just in whistles, look at what all has changed. I don't know how many times we went from when the player can enter the free throw lane. You know, ball has to hit the rim, on the release, back to the rim. Then we move people out one spot. Uh, things change, and you have to change with it, or you'll be outdated pretty quickly. And then people are not going to want you on their games. Yeah, so when, when you look at, you were talking about younger officials and looking the part. So when you've got a JV official um, that you're looking at, what kind of things do you look for, uh, not only as the DOD, but as an assigner as well? Uh, what kind of things do you look for in up-and-coming officials, guys that are still working the JV um, and, and junior high and freshman games? Well, like I said, number one would be appearance. Yep. Athletic, be in shape. Your, your uniform should fit. Um, you know the right shoes. Uh, I think it's a mistake if you try to officiate without a lanyard. Um, you may see some older veteran guys do it. You know that's fine. They've done it for a long time, but I, I don't think it, it's not going to make you stick out in a positive fashion. Um, obviously. The shirts are pretty much prescribed. What you have, what kind of shirt you have to get, and, and pants, and you know, black pants and all that. So, in in basketball, the uniform is pretty straightforward, but it should fit well. It should look good on you. You have to be in shape if you wanted to, to do that. And then, you know, in terms of JV freshman officials, as, from the assigner standpoint, you know, I'm looking at people that were uh, willing to take my games all along. You know, if your first question is Where's it at? And your second question is, how much do I get paid? Um, I'm not going to say I'll never call you back, but you're going to drop down to the bottom of the list pretty quickly. Or people that cancel out frequently uh, for a variety of reasons, things happen. I get that. Every assigner understands that. Uh, but some people make it a habit of, of canceling out uh, quite often, and that's not going to help you. So you have to be willing to, like I said, any game you can get, you should take. And then you need to officiate it like it is the state championship. Every game, you get a lot of effort, work hard, uh, because you never know who is watching you. Uh, when I go to games, if I'm not you know, officiating, people will say, well, are you here to watch the officials? Well, you know, I'm the DOD, I'm an assigner. Uh, I'm there, yeah. I, any game I go to, I'm there to watch the officials, even if I'm really not. 
you know, great thing was around my area. We have local cable television. They play replay lots of games from the weekends. And so there's a chance I, I pick up some new names, see some new faces on those games, people I'd never heard of. And they do a really nice job, and I make note of that. So you never know who's watching. So I would work every game like like it's a championship game, and uh, that's how you that's how you're going to get noticed, and that's how you you'll get the opportunity to move up. Okay. The other part of it is networking. You know, uh, if you just expect people are going to call you, and you don't make any contacts on your own, uh, you're probably going to be sitting at home a lot. You need to network with officials. If it's through your mentors, if it's through the association. Uh, I know some people say, well, I'm not going to play those political games. Everything in life is politics. Uh, it happens in every aspect of your life. Officiating is no different. So I uh, would not be afraid to network in a positive way. Uh, and a lot of that is just making known that you're available. Yeah, no doubt. And that's a great way to end the third quarter. Starting the fourth quarter, we're going to talk about a variety of different things just between in-game and out-of-game. We just talked about conditioning and the way officials look. So um, how has conditioning or workouts changed for you from the off-season to the season? Do they change at all? Do you follow the same pattern? Personally, I do because I go to the, the Y uh, almost every day year-round. Uh, if I have a game that night, uh, I probably won't do as much. Uh, I'll just uh, you know do more like stretching and maybe light lifting, something like that. Uh, and if I got three or four games in a row, then it, you know obviously uh, when you get to be my age, the recovery time takes a little longer. Uh, but overall, I have pretty much the same routine. A lot of it goes along with the exercise is diet, eat healthy, uh, makes you feel better, and so. I try to do that year-round. You know, you can't just wait until November and decide, okay, I'm going to get in shape, and then as soon as the season's over, you say, okay, I'm done until next November. Uh, that's maybe when you're uh, 20, it might work, but it doesn't take very long, and it, that doesn't happen. I'm not going to uh, official this year. A young official, with a lot of potential, does a good job. And uh, when the season was over, I told him, I said, well. It's not too early for you to start conditioning for next season. And he said, what do you mean? I got fat? I said, I'm just going to tell you that the stripes on your shirt got wider as the season went on. <laughs> you know, I did it in a nice way. He, he took, and he's lost 20 pounds in the offseason so far. Uh, and I think he knew it. Uh, but it's easy for it to happen. And it's it's easy to, to see. So... Yeah, conditioning is a big thing. And and forget the officiating part of it. It's just overall good for you. Uh, you have families, you have friends, relatives, you want to be around and stay healthy. You know, I've worked all my life in healthcare, And obviously we're at a time that no one has ever seen before that's alive right now through the pandemic. And, but you never know when something's going to hit you, but uh, do the best you can and stay healthy and so conditioning is a big part of that doesn't yeah. matter what age you are no oh, yep exactly I, I still remember the time you and I were talking and and uh, I was uh, mentioning the same thing about eating uh, quite a bit of nice snacks because I like snacks and apparently you said you did too but you don't buy that stuff because otherwise you'd eat them and, and that's 
kind of the philosophy that I've developed as well is we just don't keep it around here anymore. So I don't eat and, uh, you know, Hey, it works. I'll tell you that works. It's not there. You can't eat it. <laughs> that's right. No, I, because I, I will eat anything that's around. I like, I like eating, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a constant battle. But if I don't have it here, then I don't have to worry about it. Here's an interesting question that um, one official posed, and, and I'll just pose it to you. What kind of habits do you use on the court to remain calm and focused during tense situations? Well, I guess maybe some of my background it helps me with that uh, because I've been, first of all, like I said, I was in healthcare. I was a surgeon. Uh, it doesn't take a lot for me to remind myself that while this game is important, it's not life or death. It is still a game. These are high school kids. It might be different if I was in the NBA, but uh, at this level, I, I, I use that. Um, I've been in front of large crowds, uh, so most of the time, you know, the typical Friday night crowd is nothing like what I've worked in, uh, whether it was in big tournament games, you know, where there's thousands of people. So that's easy to do. And then I just think some of it is you have to condition yourself. You have to just be able to take a deep breath, just kind of relax. Um, like I said, short memory. Uh, you can't let things get to you. Not everybody's able to do that. And officiating's not for everyone. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I think some of it is just, you know, relaxation techniques, whatever uh, works for you. But uh, you just some of you just have to condition yourself to not let it get to you. Uh, and then when the game's over, it's over. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's not going to change. And you move on and try to do better the next game. Uh, but you know, no matter what game it is, there's going to be people on you. Uh, half the people are not going to be happy all the time. So uh, it's something you just have to get used to. When you look at officiating and maybe good advice here for other officials, what, what do you gain from being a basketball official in your professional life and even in your pers personal life? Well, one thing, I think it made me be a better communicator when I learned that early on, how to talk to people or in, in sort of uh, volatile situations. Uh, in my professional life, I, I could take a lot of that from the office out onto the court, same thing, you know, I didn't always have good news to deliver to my patients. And so, again, you learn how to phrase things, try to be as positive as you can. And uh, I think it was, it was also uh, a good diversion, officiating was, from my professional life. Because, again, you know, everybody that came in to see me in the office had some sort of a problem. They were looking for a solution, help me, make me better, that type of thing. And you got on the court, and you could just sort of forget about that and uh, run up and down and dealing with healthy kids for the most part. And uh, so I used it kind of as a diversion as well. Yeah. So that puts the end of the fourth quarter, and we go into the favorite part, right, post-game, post-game. Some of the best parts of officiating – uh, is that brother or sisterhood in officiating? You know, maybe it's the drive to the game. Maybe it's the post game. Uh, maybe it's the drive home. <laughs> some of it can be some of the favorite parts, especially when you go out afterwards. Would you agree? And any interesting stories about uh, your post game that you want to share or <laughs> that you can share? Well, I think you you know me well enough. The people that know me that I, I 
highly value the post game <laughs> and post game mechanics reviews. Uh, unfortunately, they've changed some of the laws. It's made it a little more stringent than what we can get away with. But um, I was taught, you know, my mentors, that's one thing they didn't shy away from was the post game. Uh, and frankly, it is a great way to network and meet people. And when, again, back when I started in Lima, there's a restaurant still there called the Casaluau. And everybody met there before the game to meet up and drive to their games. Everybody came back there after the game. It didn't matter where your game was at. Everybody knew that's where we were meeting up after the game. There'd be 30 or 40 officials in there every Friday and Saturday night. Uh, those days, unfortunately, are gone also. Uh, it's hard to get officials together, a lot of commitments, a lot of other things, got to get home, that type of thing. But, um, I've, I mean, I'm always game to go someplace new and different. Uh, in a town that I've never been to before. And a lot of times I know people and tell them I'll meet you there. If you don't want to come to the game, we can meet for the post game. But I, I think that's a great social outlet. And it's a, it's an important, it's an important part because it's a good way to kind of relax and kick back and, and um, sort of debrief after, after a game. Yeah. And be careful with the fans too. I know <laughs> last year we went to a game uh, and, and we stopped at a, uh, restaurant afterwards and, and during, on our way out, uh, a friend of mine and myself walked out and, a, and a couple from, and they had shirts on from the team that won and they started commenting about our officiating. And, and as we were walking out, we turned around and looked back in the window and they were flipping us off. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. You, you have to, you know, certainly if they, they lost, uh, that may not be the town to stop in, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you, uh, you know, you can tell sometimes when you walk in, you just get all these stares, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's me. But uh, you got to pick and choose where you go. Right. All right, good enough for the post game. Let's hit uh, five quick decisions. Officials have to make decisions quickly all the time, and so this is how we're going to end uh, for, with five quick decisions, kind of a light uh, questioning. Uh, best food you ever had at a facility? Oh, Finley High School. They treat me royally there. They they go all out, and we have some some good eats afterwards. Man, do I remember that well. Yes, indeed. Uh, best floor you've ever worked outside of the Schottenstein Center? Oh, outside the Schottenstein. Yeah, and and outside of St. John Arena, too, because you probably worked there, too. Uh, actually, I never have. Didn't you? Uh, I've never been on St. John Arena. I've been in it, but I never officiated a game there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of nice new floors now. You know, Defiance has a really nice floor that kind of reminds you of St. John Arena with the scoreboards in the corners. Uh, Rossford has a really nice new gym. Um, there are just lots of facilities now that, uh, you know, they've built new gyms and it's nice. So, but those are a couple in Northwest Ohio that I've been to lately that uh, uh, really kind of stick out. How about some of the toughest floors that you've been on? Well, when I started, there are a lot of small gyms particularly in, in Northwest Ohio and around this area. And so there I did games in gyms where they were on stages uh, and you had to worry about going off the side of the stage. Uh, I did games and I know some of the younger listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about, but the walls were so close to the end line that you really couldn't stand out of bounds. And so they had restraining lines 
and so yeah, you ask an old timer what a restraining line is, but uh, and that that the uh, over and back line was not the mid court line. The over and back lines were offset, uh, and so those were really little gems. And uh, usually, if you weren't on the stage, then the stage was at one side of the gym, and then the fans sat on the other side. People were very close. Uh, the teams, the, you know, the benches were right on top of you. And I mean, there you could just—I could name 50 of those gyms where it was like that. So, a lot of small gyms. Those were tough, um, particularly if you had a team that liked to run, because it was hard for them to really spread out and run on a small floor. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of teams probably got into that one-three-one zone. If they were really tall, they could almost spread out the whole length of the floor that way. Yeah, because they weren't near as wide. I mean, yeah. there were. To some of those old floors, even there's maybe still a few around where the three-point arc, uh, you can hardly keep your feet in bounds and still be outside the arc on the sideline because they're, they're so narrow. Now, these the, this question might throw you a little bit uh, because you got to make a quick decision, though. The funniest thing maybe a player or a coach ever said to you? Well, it wasn't too many years ago. Uh, I had a player who I kind of knew, and uh, he was actually a Class 3 official. Uh, at that time, he wasn't officiating much because he was playing. Uh, but uh, I made some call that he didn't like, and uh, he started questioning me about it, and he, he kind of didn't want to let it go. And I said, look, you know, do you think this is my first night out here? And he said, no, I know it's not. He goes, that's why I thought you'd do better. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty much the end of that conversation. So he, he kind of disproved my myth of uh, – of, um, trying to get along with players uh, but uh, I, mean, I know this is longer than the answer you wanted but to kind of reinforce when i said it takes some time and experience um at the end of that season he was down at the state basketball tournament not playing just as a spectator him and his dad and he saw me and uh, mind you this guy probably hadn't officiated his first jv game yet and he's asking me well how many years do you think it'll take before i can be out here and do a state tournament game <laughs> It's like, well, you might have a ways to go, but um, I guess there's nothing wrong with being confident, but you can be a little overconfident. But that was one line when he said that to me. Uh, I, I didn't have a good comeback for that, but uh, I knew that that was enough. Have you ever had – what's the funniest thing you ever heard from a fan? Oh, you, you know, there are a lot of things. They, you, you know, they used to make fun of you for wearing glasses. That's become more acceptable now. Um you know, they, I, you know, they'd say, you know, you're missing a good game, and and then I would just say, you know, well, you know, it's, it might might be a bad game, but this is where they sent me. Um, that was a good line for them. A lot of what I like to do when somebody'd really be getting on me is uh, I would just turn and look at them. I'd do one of two things. If they were really mad and yelling and carrying, I would just smile at them. That just really seems to irritate people when you just smile at them. Um, and then the other thing that I would do is I would ask them, you know, like they said, well, you're missing a good game. And I would say, do you want to see the end of this game? And uh, then about that time, the wife would start getting on the husband. About <laughs> uh, so then I, I kind of won that battle. And then another little trick that I use for crowd control, if somebody is really getting out of line and I can't find the AD or the principal or somebody, is if there's a, a cop in the end, is I'll just go down to him and I'll say, oh, just play along with me. And I will point right at that person. 
and he'll look and I'll say that's all we have to do uh, that shut him up every time <laughs> once they know I've got him so um, you know for the most part I don't pay much attention to the crowd and uh, I've you know one thing the bigger the crowd the easier it is because the noise just kind of becomes muffled right 100,000 people they can yell anything they want it's just a big roar when you have 100 200 people in the gym that's when it becomes a problem because you can hear everything they say right yep yep very true yeah see th these are good tips for the young kids i, I or young officials too and I, I like that i like that hey well, i want to i would say that some of the hardest games you'll ever officiate are junior high because you have coaches that really don't know what they're doing. Uh, and they're out there trying to act like they're, you know, in the NBA. You have parents who think they're all their little junior high kids are going to be D1 athletes. And they're yelling and screaming and carrying on. And there's not enough of them to, to drown out. So you hear everything they say. And they're novice officials who, uh, quite frankly, you know, don't know how to take it and, and kind of gets under their skin. So, um once you get past that point and move on, it really sort of seems to get easier. Yeah, and you're right. That's the and I know you've been pushing to you know hopefully uh, someday this will happen to to get the coaching box eliminated for the junior high school area because that really does it, it. It's a lot for the younger officials. The first few years that they have, they're doing the toughest time or the toughest section, which is junior high, and they're just getting lit up. That's right, and yet we have a shortage, and we want to encourage them to stay on, but we're not doing anything to help that. I have two goals. Uh, while I'm still DOD, I'm, I don't know if I'll get them accomplished, whether COVID will wipe me out or I'll get fired before I get these through. <laughs> but uh, the two things that I would like to see, one is eliminate coaches' box in junior high. We can do it uh, very easily. There's no federation rule that says we can't. Uh, we put it in. We can take it out. And then I would also like to see us go to a running clock in the, in the regular season. Uh, I think uh, some of the, when we have games that are 60, 70, 80 point differentials, serves no purpose. Uh, it's bad for, you know, it only promotes poor sportsmanship. Um, you know, so I think, you know, we have to help the game, meaning we, meaning the administration, the OHSAA, uh, those types of things. And, and, uh, uh, I'd like to see that we use it in the tournament. I'd like to see us use it all season. Yep. Well, I want to thank uh, Dr. Denny Morris for taking the time out of his schedule today to be part of the high school basketball referee podcast, the first episode with Mark Fralick. And uh, I, I just appreciate you taking the time out, Denny, of your day and, and being part of this podcast. Well, thanks for having me, and I wish you well, and I appreciate your efforts because – Hopefully this, people would hear this, some non-officials, it might motivate them to, to try it and uh, encourage them and maybe see a different side of the officiating. And uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun and uh, uh, appreciate your efforts. A big thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. I hope you're able to take something away from this show that, that really helps your officiating career. Uh, additional episodes will appear each week of the High School Basketball Referee Podcast with Mark Fralick. You can listen to them on Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts, along with several other podcasting platforms. Please do me a favor, um, review, rate, subscribe, and if you'd like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash mark-fralick. That's mark fralick 
and it's F-R-O-E-L-I-C-H. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the podcast, and thank you for listening.